0: Everybody and welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name's Basil.
1: And this is Gons, and this is the intro before the actual intro.
0: Oh, to look at you. episode 106. 106. Yes, so we are just here to let you know a few things before we get started. We're gonna jump into the episode soon here with a very, very wonderful Mr. Brian Gadawa. But before then, we just wanted to remind everybody, uh, we still need a few more addresses uh, for the Canary Cry Radio USB Archive Project. Um, a lot of you have sent in your addresses, but a lot of you have not. So go ahead and do that now. Do it now. Pause and email canarycryradio at gmail.com with your address. If you have uh, signed up to support Canary Cry Radio for $15 a month, go do that. And if you haven't done that yet, we still have a couple more USB drives. You can go to canarycryradio.com support and sign up for $15 a month, and we will send you a USB archive project, which is filled with all of Canary Cry Radio's material. There's just too much stuff to list. It's amazing. It's all there. And it's in a metal, credit card shape and size USB drive uh, with which will survive the apocalypse. And you will have Canary Cry forever. And some of
1: you guys have already received your USB drives and been yes. posting shiny pictures of it. And it's, been yes. pretty awesome.
0: it's pretty awesome. It's out there. A lot of you have it already. And uh, if you don't, don't worry. You're on the list. If they're all just going out. It's a lot of postage we're having to pay here. <laughs> I did not expect to pay this much postage, but that's okay. We're doing it. It's great. Um, so go do that if you have not yet. Uh you got anything, Gans?
1: Uh well, uh I'm sure some of you guys noticed that website was down again for a little bit. Again. It's back again. I know, I know, again.
0: Again. Guys, this is why the USB Archive project exists. Because recently we have been having what is this, our second or third, third time, but we third time yeah, we, that our website and episodes have been completely taken down off of the internet and it's still a little bit of a mystery there's a lot of conspiracy involved even bluehost themselves have uh, alluded to foul play and somehow some people have alluded to bluehost's foul play
1: yeah and and we had uh, dr mike Kaiser come visit a couple weekends ago and ironically or maybe not so ironically <laughs> Um his websites went down the same week that ours did. Yeah. And he was also on Bluehost, so maybe Bluehost is the Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think uh, since we are no longer using their service, I think we can say that. <laughs> well,
1: uh, I, I got to just say, you know, uh, we started with Bluehost and they were a really good company, you know, like they were yeah. awesome. And I don't know what happened in like yeah. the last two years or something where they turned into not so awesome. And now they're really not awesome to the point where we had some help. Um, Brother Abe stepped in and helped us, you know, get some stuff transferred over to new locations and now hopefully you know we're up and running at a more stable sort of uh pace here so thank you for all your prayers everybody and your patience as you know the episodes were down and itunes stuff was missing and stitcher wasn't working and website was gone and you know canary cry was just kind of in hibernation for a few days but we're back up
0: and running again Yeeha, we're doing it. So all the stuff should be up there and uh we've got uh, some big things in the works here for some pretty interesting episodes, but bear with us uh all of these technical problems as well as a bunch of personal problems going on that seem to be if not connected, at least within the same realm. And so, you know, we got a lot of stuff, guys. Pray for us. Things are things are hard. Life is hard. It is. Uh, but you know, you know you know,
1: what, though? The, it's kind of a good thing, you know? It's, I, I think it's good. I think it kind of indicates that we're doing something right. But also, the stuff we're going to be getting into, not just, you know, the Canary Cry Radio, the heart of the show, is always going to remain the same. But I think you and I, is, you know, we've got some interesting sort of things that we're considering, right? You kind of mentioned that, but I kind of want to reiterate it because... I want people to get excited about not knowing what it is that we're going
2: to do. <laughs> I want
0: them to get excited about nothing.
1: Well, that's kind of no, our thing, it is, right?
0: But it is something, and it's there, and we're working on it. But yeah, I, I, and a lot of you will notice that there hasn't been a Joy Spiracy Theory podcast out in a while, which is, uh, uh, which is kind of uh, just, uh, again, a lot. A lot of crazy things going on that we can't, we can't quite talk about, but it's, 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 it's not my fault, guys. It's just happening. <laughs> I know. I'm
1: sorry, yeah. Basil. I know. Um, yeah, so you know, despite all that, we have an excellent episode for you here on this yep. episode. It's great. So
0: let's do it, dude. Let's go. Ow, I just hit my head. How do you hit your head? So many problems. How do you hit your
1: head on the microphone? Like, how does that even happen? Well, I don't know. You tell me. I, I'm. I really okay. think. I really think CERN has opened up a portal and it has yeah. manipulated matter <laughs> where, like, certain things just don't make sense. Start we're definitely happening.
0: having some issues. So, guys, please pray for us. And uh, your USBs are on the way. So there you go. Send us your addresses. And uh, pray against CERN's portals opening up to... (laughs) Underneath our feet. Underneath our feet. Okay.
2: In China, as well as in most places in Asia, the dragon word long, as said in Chinese, is commonly the symbol of nobility, solemnness, holiness, and good fortune. Throughout the history of China, Korea and Japan, the dragon or the concept of the dragon has been a part of people's daily lives. The dragon has existed wherever Chinese culture existed and the Chinese eventually began calling themselves the descendants of the dragon. The Eastern Dragon is portrayed as an auspicious creature with magical powers that coexists in heaven with gods. When Buddhists or Taoists achieve perfection, they ascend to heaven by riding on a dragon. These dragons are believed by the people to be deities. They are wise, compassionate, and watch over the people. The presence of dragons within Chinese culture dates back thousands of years. With the discovery of a dragon statue dating back to the 5th millennium BC from the Yangshao period, Chinese dragons are strongly associated with water. In popular belief, they are believed to be the rulers of moving bodies of water, such as waterfalls, rivers, or seas. In traditional Chinese beliefs, there are four major dragon kings representing each of the four seas. Because of this association, they are seen as in charge of water related weather phenomenon. In pre modern times, many Chinese villagers, especially those close to rivers and seas, had a temple dedicated to their local dragon king. In times of drought or flooding, it was customary for local officials to lead the community in offering sacrifices and conducting other religious rites to appease the dragon.
0: You're listening to
1: Canary Cry Radio.
0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name's Basil.
1: And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 106. Ah, yeah. And our guest today was on episode 45, 63, 80, and made a cameo on 100. now he's on 106. You can uh, check those out if you want a full introduction to our friend Brian Godawa. Brian, what's up, buddy? Hey, guys. Great to be here
0: glad to have you. We finally made it. You're back and you got a new uh, a new book. Not a new installment of the old old series, but this is a new series, right? Yes.
3: All it's right. called The Chronicles of the Watchers.
0: Oh my goodness. And we have a lot of listeners who are big fans of uh, all your work, but this is that for some reason this just sort of has a buzz around it. I'm so excited. <laughs> it is a little different.
3: It is a little yeah. different.
0: Okay. Well, awesome. I mean, uh, I don't know. I feel like we know you so well, I don't really need to go into all the regular beginning stuff, but <laughs> Gons, do you want to ask where he was born or anything?
1: Let me start here. What got you interested in the, uh, the, the ancient East as far as
0: you know
3: where you are coming from with the Bible?
0: Oh yeah, this China thing is new. Yeah, <laughs> as far China as the Bible is concerned, yeah, let's hear it.
3: Well, you know, I had this thing for China, so I thought, why don't, why don't I do a China thing?
0: Okay, <laughs> let's it, do huh? a China thing.
3: <laughs> it's pretty pretty. Seriously, deep. Um, actually, the the novel that you guys are talking about is called The Dragon King, and um, so yeah, I just released it uh, over a month ago or so, and. Um, this one is the start of a new series, and it wasn't intended to be that, actually. It wasn't until I started working on it with uh, my partner that we realized, oh my gosh, this is, this has doorways to connect with my previous Chronicles of the Nephilim, uh, with us, you know, working under the similar watch, what I call the Watcher paradigm, um, but yet sort of in another, in another world, you know, and, uh, that is that the Dragon King is about the first emperor of China. Mm. And how it came about was that, um, my, I have a good friend at church, Charlie Wen, and Charlie was actually the, he should be the guy here, you guys, he should be the guy you're interviewing because he's, he's actually famous. He's uh, way bigger than me, and, and, uh, his, uh, background is that he was the original creator of the visual development department at Marvel Studios. And he had been there, the, the visual director for quite a few years with his team there, and they basically developed the look, Of all the Marvel movies that we all are in love with, whether it's Captain America, the Avengers, Thor, Iron Man.
0: As far as cinema people are concerned, I mean, those who took notice when this happened, I mean, that was a pretty big deal. They really brought out uh, a a really uh, unique and defined uh, sort of vision of that universe.
3: Absolutely, and you know, I, I I went into his office and he showed me, showed me like all these different drawings from like Avengers and stuff, where it's like. I saw, yeah, I saw that image in the movie. It's like, well, they basically pattern a lot of the movie visuals after their visual development that they did within their department, and as well as, you know, they create the the look of the costumes and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, and, you know, evidently you go to Comic-Con and and Charlie's well-known there and stuff, which is is a world I'm not as familiar with, but um, he actually, since then, though, he's recently went off on his own to actually develop his own company um, and create intellectual Properties and such, but so I kind of nabbed him in the in the in between time period there where he had some time and and um, we were actually he read my chronicles of the nephilim he read a few of the novels and he really liked them and so we we started chatting and hanging out and and um, you know we were talking about doing something together and we're, we're both in the business so Hollywood business so that was the natural progression is some kind of intellectual property that could be a movie well he he finally came and said you know there's something i've always been wanting to do which is the story of the first emperor of china and i didn't really know much about him and it's actually amazing i think most most of your listeners will probably know more about him than they realize because um the first emperor of china his name was um for short his name was huang di and um it's actually Qin Shi Huangdi, and they think that that may be where the name China ultimately was derived from. His name oh, Qin. Wow. Yeah. But um, but he, we, you may know about him because he's the one who basically built the Great Wall of China. Um, he didn't start it, but he really was the one who really made it happen. And, and so he's,
0: a, he's an con- overachiever.
3: Yeah, absolutely. One of those.
1: Doesn't he have like, and, and I, again, I think I mentioned this in episode 100, but I had... Uh, my research part of Ancient Aliens debunked with Chris White was Huang Di, the Flying Dragons, and the claims that were made by Ancient Aliens, you know, were you know some of the you know it's, it's all aliens, right? Yeah. But, <laughs> but to my understanding, uh, you know, a couple of the claims that they made were that you know he was born from a radiant a great star Chi, and he was uh, he he would emerge from the belly of a fire-breathing dragon as China's first emperor, and you know, there's all kinds of stuff with. The the early cultures and seeding the Chinese culture, all that stuff. I mean, obviously, you'll probably get into some of that. What did you find out that's actually historical? Because one of the things that I had a problem with was nailing down some of those claims. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, obviously, you know, you probably have some better uh, access to sources, so to speak, than I did for, you know, my my, you know, two paragraph, three paragraph debunking thing that I did. But um you know, it was really hard to nail down exactly what was going on because with every generation of emperors they sort of incorporated or changed the mythology of Huang Di as part of, you know, yeah. whatever the dynasty was at the time would incorporate it somehow into their own mythology, so to speak. So
3: yeah, yeah. And, you know, like every ancient culture they, you know, important characters, uh, legends grow up around them and uh, especially ones who become tyrants. And Huang Di actually was a tyrant. Um, now I, I didn't, I did not delve into all the myths about him. You know, I focused on the actual historical character. Um, and I wanted to bring that element of realism to it, but we do bring a, a, a fantasy element as well to the story in order to show the spiritual reality of what's going on. But he was also the guy who created all those terracotta statues of soldiers that they found underground, you know, that everyone sees the documentaries on, you know, thousands of them. The ones that come alive. I
0: remember being a kid and they had just kind of discovered maybe just a new cache of those and everybody's making such a big deal about it and I just didn't understand. Yeah, yeah. But and then I watched eight hours of different documentaries about it because <laughs> Discovery Channel was where yep. it was at. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and there's a great uh, there's actually a great documentary on YouTube um about uh Qin Shi Huangdi and uh with little reenactments and everything. So yeah, he's he's actually a fascinating character of history. And of course the Chinese have their own, you know, mini series and stuff on the guy. But and they recognize they do recognize that he was a tyrant and um there's a lot of fascinating things that we've found about him. But um our goal was to actually tell Tell the historical story and be as accurate as we could, while bringing in our little supernatural historical, you know, a- angle to the story. But there was something else that actually connects that part part of the uh, part of the things that started to show up that connected him to uh, the shall we say the Bible and the Book of Genesis, and that was. Um, uh, along with those those soldiers that he created which were supposed to guard him in the afterlife and you know what's interesting there the, the why they did that was because or why he did that was because if you were to bury what oftentimes what they did would you know they would Put some of their living guards and bury them alive within the tomb, and they would just die there. And uh, but he realized, well, they would, they would be dead, so they wouldn't be able to help him. But if he could create these lifelike uh, statues, then they could have some spiritual reality to them that could be eternal. Um, and and so they were sort of spiritual guardians of him, you know, right. And, um, but anyway, so those were all in, in long tunnels that sort of led to his burial mound, which right now it's, it's, it is literally a, a mound because dirt over the centuries has covered it over and they haven't uncovered it yet. But underneath it, his tomb, um, is basically in the shape of a ziggurat. And so, yeah, so it's it's quite a fascinating uh concept there, and and that starts to connect it up to the Tower of Babel. But that's not all. Um, so Charlie actually came to me and he said the reason you know the reason why I want to do it as a Christian was you know to, there's something fast interesting about this time period. The first emperor of China was before him. The dragon was a part of mythology and stories and such, but at, it was his time period that the dragon became sort of the ubiquitous universal symbol of China that also became positive and and such. And so um, he said, as a Christian, that's kind of interesting because to us, the dragon is a negative image. And um, the other element of that was, was that around his time period, he, he brought in the worship of the lesser gods of the Pantheon. Um, Before that time, um, the ancient Chinese actually worshipped a single god, and his name, they called him Shangdi, which huh. would be, they would, it would be their equivalent to our word god, you know, um, so you could literally say it, Shangdi, you know, he's god, And but not only that, but they did not have images of him. Images were forbidden. Wow, interesting. Now, what's fascinating about this, now we're talking around 200 B.C., roughly, right? 220 B.C. is when, when he um, was in power. And um, think about that. In ancient history, and particularly in that time, there was no other religion that worshipped a single god without images except one, and that's the Hebrews, right? Everyone else had images and such. So, actually, modern-day Chinese um, try to make the argument... Um, to their fellow Chinese who are saying, hey, Christianity is just a Western religion, so forget it. And they're like, no, no, <laughs> look at this. They worshiped a single God without images long before we even heard about the Bible. And wow. so, so Christianity is not a Western religion, you know, and it's rooted in, in a deep ancient past that we are connected to. And where does that connection come from? They claimed basically that, that at the Tower of Babel, when the nation spread, their people came from the from Babel and they just held... To a you know they held a more pure form of the original understanding of Yahweh, in other words, and of course all nations uh, ended up corrupting it as well as China, but nevertheless they did have that 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 understanding and then they the um uh, before the emperor China was actually a a a, a, a warring society of about I think it's uh, about five, king- five kingdoms. And um, for a thousand years, they had been warring, warring, and warring. And so the first emperor coming in brought about unity in an unprecedented level— brought about a unified language, unified, um, you know, weights and measures and currency and, and all that. So there's, there's much positive that he brought in that sense. But like all tyrants, um, he also brought with it uh, a lot of oppression, slavery of his own people. And He, he had, almost had it. <laughs> yeah. Almost had it. And so, so Charlie says, well, you know, so there's this connection to the dragon, which we would see as Satan, right? And at the same time, he's also bringing in the worship of the gods and getting rid of the worship of Shangdi, the one god. Hmm, that that sounds kind of really familiar to us, right? Right. And so we, you know, we looked into that and and decided uh, and and started to to, to put together this the story of of the the first emperor but our, but we realized you know what we want something that will appeal to both east and west and we realized you know this has to be an east meets west kind of story and then that way we'll kind of garner the interest of both sides and and so we started say well what's what was going on in the west at that time how can we bring a character from the west because actually china really didn't have any interaction with the west until around the first century you know so so uh they were really cut off right and and so how could we find some, some connections there? And sure enough, we did fascinating connections. You know, first of all, um, like I said, that, that ziggurat structure, which of course, as you know, is all around the world, not just, uh, not just, uh, in, 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 Europe and, and, um, you know, the tower of Babel is, was probably a ziggurat. And so it would make sense that they would bring that design with them as they spread out on the earth. Um, but there's some other elements as well that, that, that were really fascinating. And, um, so at that time period in the West, the, um, the Greek kingdom was the Seleucid kingdom. Uh, they were, they were the Greeks who were, were at the time of Alexander, when Alexander died, his, you know, he, he conquered the world and then his territory was divided up between his four generals. And by this time in history, which is a, I think a couple hundred years later, the Ptolemies controlled Egypt And a lot of Greece in that area. And the Seleucids controlled the Mesopotamia and the Levant and Israel and all that. And the king at that time was King Antiochus the Great. And so it was really fascinating because at that time period, Babylon was still around as a city, but it was pretty much in ruins like Detroit. It was still there and people lived there, but it was, (laughs) you know, it was like the the Detroit of Mesopotamia. (laughs) Name and names. (laughs) Dropping (laughs) Detroit bombs. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. And so we're, you know, so basically we came up with a fictional character that could, could, could be, a um, we, we, we came up with the idea of what if this, this fallen, uh, or not fallen, but a, um, a disgraced, you know, warrior general goes on a search to redeem himself into the East, you know, and we came up with this basic storyline. It's about 200 BC, the ancient Western empire is crumbling, which it was at that time. He was losing his power. He was spread out too thin on the earth. So in a desperate bid to save his throne, that Greek king Antiochus, over Babylon as well, sends a dishonored warrior into the mysterious land of the Far East to capture a mythical creature that will give him absolute power, a dragon. And um, another factual thing that we found was um, that we employed in the story was that there are actually oracle bones in China that they found, and that is basically, uh, you know, tusks and, and literal bones, where they carved stories into them. And there's oracle bones that shows that ancient China did actually have some kind of connection with King Cyrus. Hmm. And if you remember, King Cyrus was before Antiochus, and after Daniel. and And, you know... Daniel, of course, is the one that prophesied, or I'm sorry, Isaiah prophesied that Cyrus would, you know, release the Jews to go back to Babylon and all this. And so we started realizing something. Wait a minute. The the um the magi that came to find Christ, right? All the way in the first century, magi were Babylonian priests. And these were guys who were schooled in astrology and magic and alchemy and all this kind of stuff. And they were looking for Christ, which means you go back in the book of Daniel, Daniel's the one who sort of, he came into Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, and he ended up, because of God, he ends up basically over the wise men of Babylon, and that included the Magi. And so basically what you have is Daniel had basically affected the Magi with a lot of his teachings, so much so that even though they remained pagan throughout history— they still had a lot of truth from from the Hebrews that they carried with them. Mm. So we said, "Well, what if one of these Magi was around, influenced by that heritage of Daniel, and he's he's the uh, a Magi warrior, and he's a best friend of our, our 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 hero Greek, and so they go on the journey together into the far east, and that was how the story was sort of birthed, and and we real and we wanted to to bring in this you know again the spiritual connection and and yet deal with epic themes of power of glory of uh the search for eternal life because that was another thing that this um emperor was famous for he was searching for the elixir of immortality mm, sounds uh, familiar yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> and uh and and so he he actually almost bankrupted his treasury in that search sending guys all over to get um you know magicians and people from other countries and to send his uh sailors out to find the island of the immortals uh, you know all these all these things he spent all this money on and so they were working in his labs basically his scholars as they called them in china which were very similar to the magi they were working on alchemy to try to you know find this elixir of immortality and at that time period in terms of their primitive understanding of science they had believed that um ingesting tiny amounts of arsenic and mercury and some other substances could uh, help elongate your life so they were remember
0: that from the terracotta warriors documentary
3: yeah so so he was (laughs) they were giving him these little teeny amounts and little did they know they were poisoning him and at the end of his life right around the time period of our story he goes insane and so that's a whole nother element that that makes the makes the story fascinating but um yeah that was sort of the germination there and you know there's a lot a lot of other connections i can make but um i don't want to dominate
0: Oh, no, please dominate please away. Dominate. <laughs> so, now but we'll we'll get into this. So, your your last series of books was called the Chronicles of the Nephilim. This one, I believe, is Chronicles of the Watchers.
3: Yes. So, am I correct? Yes.
0: Okay, good. So now, I just want to Make clear, sometimes I ask simple questions, but we get a lot of new listeners and exploring people to the show. So Mm -hmm. can you explain briefly the difference between The Watchers and The Nephilim, and then take us from there?
3: Sure. So The Chronicles of the Nephilim was my eight-novel series where I retold stories of the Bible that had giants in them, or the Watchers. And the Watchers are uh, the supernatural divine beings that God placed in authority over the nations, over the Gentile nations. Um, And and so the purpose of that series was sort of to to bring out that storyline that's in the Bible. Well, part of that storyline is this. In Deuteronomy 32, um, it talks about how when God um separate the languages at at the tower of babel and um he spread them out upon the earth it says that he appoint he gave them he allotted them and that word allotment is has to do with inheritance and and territorial authority he allotted them under the authority of the sons of god and um so who are these sons of god and and as you know as your show has has discussed quite often you know they're They are definitely divine beings from the heavens. And the notion here is that there are some who came down to earth in in the days of Jared before Noah, and they mated with the daughters of men, and they bore them Nephilim. And so the Nephilim are giants, actually. That's what the word means. And so these giants are sort of the angelic-human hybrid um, result of these divine sons of God beings intermarrying, um, having sex with... The daughters of men, which biblically was a violation of God's holy separation between the earthly and the heavenly. So this is, these are sinful guys. These are bad guys. And that's where the, that, thread of the Nephilim and the giants starts to come throughout the, throughout the whole Bible. But the, the part that I carried over into the watchers was this, what I call the watcher paradigm. And that is this additional element that says, okay, at the Tower of Babel, God places all the Gentile nations under the authority of these fallen sons of God, I believe they're ultimately fallen. Um, Sort of like, you know, imagine this. The earth is so evil that God destroys it with a flood, right? Then they start all over again, and then what do they do? They build a tower to the heavens, which was a form of self-deification and also the attempt to contact with the gods. So again, they fall away from the creator God. So what does he do? He gives them over. He says, okay, if you're going to keep doing this, if you're going to keep worshipping idols, then I'm going to give you under the authority of those idols. You will be under them. But I will keep for myself my people Jacob, and, and I will have a land one day for them. And so this notion of, uh, which is not just a Hebrew notion, but it's in many ancient um, cultures, and that is the idea that behind the earthly authorities there are heavenly or spiritual authorities. And this carries also into the book of Daniel, where Daniel talks about how the prince of Persia is at, and the prince of Greece are at battle with the prince of, of Israel, which is Michael, and those terms are, um, the word prince in, in, that, in those particular cases has to do with the spiritual divine beings, and these are the watchers, the watchers over mankind. That's another term that they, they use in the Bible that's sort of interchangeable with them. And, Isn't
1: Daniel four? Doesn't it actually mention the word watchers? Is that yes. the only place that's that it? Uh, I believe yes, it's it mentioned.
3: Yes, that is the only place it's mentioned, which then opens the the door for another you know amazing connection which we won't go into now but that's to the book of enoch and that's where the book of first enoch talks about the watchers and expands on that tale of the giants and and the days of the flood um from which we get a little bit more information that fills out the biblical picture but to get back to the topic um these watchers think about it they it, it even goes all the way to the new testament which is why i wrote my whole series ending up with jesus triumphant because Paul writes about how we fight not against flesh and blood but against what? The principalities and powers of wickedness in heavenly places. Right. See, he wasn't saying he wasn't saying that um that you know, oh, don't worry about the bad guys on earth, we're you know, it's it's the demons that we're fighting. No, no. He's referring the principalities and powers was this notion that Behind the earthly powers are the spiritual authorities. They are the real, true authorities behind them. And the notion was, was that when Messiah came, he would take back the lands, take back the, the title deeds, if you will, from all the Gentile nations. He would take them back and, and therefore be able to draw men and women from every nation unto himself. Whereas before that, it was pretty much just the nation of Israel is surrounded by pagan gods and their, you know, pagan lost people. And you would have to, you know, you'd have to become a Jew if you wanted to worship the true God. But now people from every nation, just through faith alone, um, faith in Messiah could now be saved. Why? Because God in the death, resurrection and ascension of Christ he had victory over those powers. He took back the authority of those lands, and now that's why the gospel can go out through, to all the nations and no longer is, is basically, you know, Satan can no longer deceive the nations type of and thing. And the crowd goes wild! <laughs> exactly. So this watcher paradigm, you know, I thought, well, it, it, like I said, when we first started the story, we we weren't going at it from that angle, but we started seeing more of these spiritual connections to the Bible. And by the way, another connection that I even told, that I actually already knew about, which is why I joined this story with Charlie right away, because I said, well, guess what, Charlie? He was telling me about the dragon and all this stuff. And I said, I read this book that that by these Chinese Christians that explain how the ancient Chinese language, which is a pictorial language, right? So their words are literally little pictures. Well, if you look at the ancient version of the language, there's a lot of, of residue or reflection of the book of Genesis in their ancient language. Right. But yeah. this is thousands of years before the book of Genesis was written. So in their language, they have those truths. So for instance, the word for boat or ship. Is a boat with eight people in it. And that's mm-hmm. Noah's Ark. Right? There's eight people in Noah's Ark. Um the word for tower has various story elements that is very similar to the Tower of Babel. The word for tempter, I think, is like um you know two trees in a garden with a snake or something like that. So there's these reflections of Genesis long before they ever had connection with the Bible. Again, that comes from this notion that maybe they came from the tower of babel and they maintained those ancient truths uh with them in a less corrupted way than the other nations did see so <clears throat> um so you've got this babel connection you've got this oh and then 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 the the, the notion of the watchers so i thought well you know what if, if this notion is true that there are these territorial powers and and therefore wouldn't there be one over China or s- several? Right. I don't know. I don't know how many, but you know, and, and so I use the premise that well, what if the gods that the ancient peoples worshiped, what if they were rooted in some real beings of some kind, spiritual beings, which isn't entirely far fetched because, you know, in, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, God ta- or Moses says that, Hey, you know, you, you when you sacrifice to these go- ancient false gods, you're sacrificing to demons. Right so there's a kind of a spiritual reality to them, and so we brought this paradigm into this story as well, because of course, there were <coughs> excuse me, there were um uh, many gods within that, that that structure as well, and it's interesting because there, there's not there's not much written on you, you know this was also the time period by the way, when there's Confucius was around not he wasn't around, but Confucianism. Taoism. They were all sort of competing for con- for control because everyone was divided. Uh, they call it the time of a hundred philosophies, right? And uh, the, the first emperor of China, he was what's called a legalist. And roughly what that meant was uh, they believed in the use of law rooted in the the individual will and power of the emperor, of course, that yeah. he he was the sole definer of that, and so the legalism was the was the rule of law, but based on the emperor, and that was and it was a very brutal <clears throat> it was a very brutal thing because it ended up rejecting all the ancient wisdom, the Confucianism, Taoism, all that kind of stuff. It rejected it. Uh, because he wanted to basically plow ahead and and you know control everything so how can you do that unless you get rid of history right right and and that's what they were that's what they were doing so that's another negative element of it but um (coughs) i've got a cough here tonight sorry about that um so so here we have this 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 scenario where you've got spiritual entities behind him. And I also wanted to bring in the dragon, right? Because, of course, this is where I bring a little bit of the fantasy element, but we also tie it in spiritually to the Bible. And that is that that in the West, the notion of dragons was basically dinosaurs who breathe fire, right? But in the East, the dragon was more like a long serpent with little legs at each end, and they were connected more with water. Right, yeah. So we one of the things that we explored in this was just, a, like I said, East Meast West. We have a lot of the comparison of the different cultures and how, how things are different in the West and the East, and that was one of them. But yet, underlying, there's still a commonality, isn't there? Especially since we all come from Babel, so we all have that human nature and the corruptedness that man carries with him. Therefore, you have the Emperor of the East. The word for China at that time period was Tianxia which means all under heaven. And the, so in other words, they thought China was everything, right? That was all the earth was China. And the emperor Classic. was... Exactly. The emperor was the emperor un, of under he, all things under heaven. And in the West, they considered the, the same way, right? Every culture thinks they are the center of the earth and um, everything is sort of a subset of their their little world. So, you know, you've got emperors in the West, emperors in the East. The search for power is the same, but also... The need for love is the same, and also the need for redemption, salvation, and atonement is the same, because even in the ancient Chinese culture, they had border sacrifices, what they called, once a year, which is very similar to the Day of Atonement, where the, um, where the, the kings alone could, could enter into this, the altar and give a sacrifice for the people unto Shangdi, and so there's also a spiritual angle that's going on, and um, of course we tie that to to the God of Yah to the to the God Yahweh. Yeah, that's, that's, go ahead.
0: I was going to say that's really interesting that the, you know the the comparison between the East and the West at that time. If you want to consider Israel the West, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean it's it's just so fascinating. It, now, do you kind of contribute? the yahweh tradition in china uh the well what you know what we're comparing to yahweh worship would that have something to do with maybe the watchers that god put there or uh, how did that come about maybe you answered this question but
3: uh that's fine yeah you know um as as i understand it i think that the watchers um were were basically evil beings um even if you believe they started out good, they they ended up turning bad because that's certainly what the Bible, how the Bible describes them. So right. they're bad guys, and they're not. They're going to distort the truth, and that's how we depict them. We depict them as the source for the distortion of the truth that is suppressed. In, like what Romans talks about is suppressed in unrighteousness. So they know the living God, but they create their. And this, is of course, is where I think the you know the the myths and 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 legends and everything comes from. All the myth mythical religions come from is they have. We all have that grain of truth in us, like from the Tower of Babel. But then we spread upon the earth, and each of the different cultures, in different ways, twists that truth or spins it to their own corrupted ends because no one wants to follow the living God, basically. So that, that's where the watchers come in is they are that negative element. Um, But there's also something else that I found that was, there's quite a few things that were interesting connections. Our, our goal in this story was not to say the East is bad or the West is bad. Our goal was to show the interesting, fascinating comparison and contrast. There's good and bad in both East and Western kingdoms, but ultimately there is a higher kingdom in, in which truth can be found that bo- both of those East and West kingdoms are are actually for, fallacious or corrupted versions of that ultimate truth. Right. And so that's, that's sort of a, you know, the theme that we're, we're deriving, we're following. Yeah. Uh, let me
1: ask you this, because, you know, there's, um, and again, I, I refer back to this research I did as uh, an interesting point of reference, but, um, you know, one of the ancient aliens claims was that the dragon was a spaceship, right? So that was part of my job to debunk that, <laughs> that the, the dragon was a spaceship. Um, but, but in the process, I, I came across a book called The Dragons of China in Japan, and it was written in the early 1900s by a guy named De Visser. And,
3: yes, um, I have that book as well. Okay, I read that book as well. Okay, so
1: yes. so uh, in the book, there's a, a chapter titled Huang Ti Road on a Dragon, and he describes an old Chinese document. Um, I think it was called like the historical record or something. And it's interesting because in the story, Huang Di, or Huang Ti, is. is uh, yeah, I guess it's like the same thing. But uh, climbed on board a dragon, and there were seventy ministers that did the same thing, and I thought that was fascinating because obviously you look at the table of nations, you got the seventy. Sons of God, there that you mentioned, you know, Deuteronomy 32, 8, and everything else, yeah, uh, Genesis yeah. 10. Um, and then, you know, you, you go down to uh, Jesus sending out 70 or 72. It's kind of a, you know, it's, it's the same sort of number, I guess. It, that yeah. gets a little complicated. But, um, you know, doing that whole thing that you described earlier of taking back what's rightfully His, um, did you incorporate that mythology at all into the story?
3: You know, I didn't. I do bring a little bit of the, um, uh, you know, the, the, there's a tr- sort of a kind of a trinity in China at that time period, um, and uh, there's something called the Jade Emperor, and he was one of the high gods of the three high gods, so I do bring them in. Um, in fact, that's really what the dragon king is connected to it, because the first emperor was not the drag considered the dragon king. Uh, so I'm giving away something here is that you think, oh, that's the dragon king is the first emperor, but it's not, he's not right. <laughs> there's actually someone over him, but so, yeah. So no, I didn't get into any, any of that, any of those legends, but it's interesting. You mention that because, um, <clears throat> Legge is another famous guy who written, who wrote in the 19th century as well. Um, there's really not much on those ancient the ancient chinese religion um because because of our lack of connection with them but the only people who wrote on them were the few um you know missionary guys who who went over there and the 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 good old jesuits yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly um and but they're not all jesuits yeah i know but one of them legge was was really famous he did a lot of analysis of of their works and such But that was where I read about how, um, something very similar to what you mentioned, Gans, about the, the 70. Well, the, the, they called them, there was a pantheon called the Lesser Gods, and it's very, very similar. And they were very much like the host of heaven for Shangdi. And, and it was these lesser gods that were the ones that became elevated with, with Huangdi. He suppressed (laughs) Shangdi, the, the one God. (laughs) <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? So the connection yeah. there is, in the same way that in Deuteronomy, it talks about how, you know, um, don't, or I'm Deuteronomy 4, it says, don't worship the host of heaven that I've allotted unto you. Uh, and of course, they did end up doing that, right? And um, and that's very similar, and, and this notion of the inferior gods is very similar to the host of heaven, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the divine council. Divine council, exactly. Yeah thank you <laughs> um so yeah so it, it, it doesn't always match exactly but it certainly matches the the language and the tenor and the, and the basic general ideas there the themes, again yeah. distorted and twisted for their own cultural uh purposes but uh yeah some very very fascinating things there it,
1: it kind of brings it sort of verifies not just biblically but sort of I, I guess there is like a, a f- common thread, right? And that's kind of what you are tugging at is this is this uh, similarity that seems to creep up in China, which you know we we really haven't explored, like you said, you know the mythologies and everything. There is a lot of oral traditions that go you know got passed down, and it the West in particular, you know they really haven't um, you know done their due diligence in terms of categorizing and everything. I mean they've started that in what the last half century or something, so it hasn't really been that long. Um, where they've really, you know, scholastically or academically document, um, you know, all the mythologies, categorize them, all that stuff. Yes, exactly. Um, so it's hard to, that's why I was wondering at the beginning of the conversation, like, where did you get your, your sources? Because, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you kind of have to rely on secondhand uh, research that's done. It's hard to nail down, you know, original, re, uh, original sources for some of the material
3: yes exactly exactly um and and that was where I found some of the best material were these these nineteenth century writers, like you said Visser Legge. I think another one's called um Ross another author Ross and right, these are yeah. all you can get these all free on on archive.org you know because they're all 1960 <laughs> yeah. books so you know thank god for the internet and that huh I yeah. mean I wouldn't have found that stuff but but also in terms of just just the historical elements of the first emperor you know there's some great bios out there and um you know including you know the uh the uh, the Cambridge history of China which is pretty good as well right but um so yeah but our goal was to you know look i 've got I use the fantasy genre as a means not just for entertainment but as a means as I like to say as a means for showing the spiritual reality, which allows me to push the envelope a little bit for entertainment purposes but we still we still wanted to follow the basic you know historical uh facts of the emperor 's life now we do invest them with some interesting uh uh controversial interpretations, but the, the same basic element is there. Like, for instance, you watch the documentaries, you find out he's going insane, and at the very end of his life, one of the last things he does is he goes out down to the ocean because he wants to capture a large sea monster, kill a sea monster, because he was told by one of the guys <laughs> that he sent out to find the elixir. He said, well, I, I found the islands of the blessed... You know, because these guys, you know, if they came back with nothing, they would be killed, right? So he's like, well, I found the Isles of the Blessed, or the, of the Immortals, the Islands of the Immortals, but they're guarded by large sea monsters. So he goes down there to try to kill a, a large sea monster. And um, so I actually bring that into our story, and I say, well, what if there actually was some kind of contact with a large sea monster, who goes by the name of Leviathan, Ooh. which is a character, another biblical character that was in my previous novels, but he's also in the Bible. And, you know, the Leviathan was basically the sea dragon of chaos, and he symbolized the chaos that uh, the creator God pushed back when he creates his covenanted reality and his covenant with his people. And, and that was a very common thing in the ancient world, was when they wanted to say that their God established his... Authority and power—they would say he, drew, you know, he conquered the rivers and the seas and conquered or crushed the heads of Leviathan, and that's of course what the Bible says as well. So I use that spiritual thing, that that spiritual um, analogy, and I make it somewhat real in the story. But basically, it's funny, but all the things that take place kind of did happen, you know. And uh, even though some of them seem a little fantastic, we've invested them with a little bit of that fantasy element. But it's still, in other words, you can read this stuff and still get a sense of the his- actual historical story through the eyes of a Westerner as well. Because I think that helps, you know, um, coming from our perspective. Right. But our, ul- our ultimate goal was, we, you know, at first we... In fact, here's the thing. So we started writing this, and it's intellectual property. And but of course, we're 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 in the movie business, so we're thinking of a script and trying to sell it and all that. And we soon realized that you know, we started making these connections to the Bible, and and that's the, that's only the beginning. There's there's also more that if you read the book, I I won't. I won't um, tell you about this part because I got to leave some things as a mystery for for the readers. <laughs> but let's just call it this: one of the ways I pitched the novel is "Raiders of the Lost Ark" in China, and <clears throat> it's it's not the Ark, but it's something very connected to the Ark. And so, um, and this was something that I didn't even know about until I started doing research. And lo and behold, these legends fell into place that made it able for us to fit into our storyline in a way that we never anticipated. So we have this biblical element connected there that also ends up being the solution at the end of the story in a very amazing way that like, it was so, it it was so amazing because we had these problems in our plot that were working in our plot and we're looking for the answers. And there was two specific ones and the answers came in this connection to this biblical, this biblical legend of, like I said, I'm not going to go beyond that, but um, so, so it's some fascinating connections that we thought, okay, this is legend, I'm not saying this really happened or anything, but it certainly brings a spiritual reality to what was going on back then.
0: Right, right, that's awesome. So now your co-writer is, uh, or seems, appears to be of Asian descent um did he did he come on as your chinese expert
3: or <laughs> <laughs> no actually no like i said you know we were just um talking about projects to do together and that this happened to be one of his interests and he'd always been wanting to do this tell that story and so but when see and for me i'm just like i don't care any as long as it's a great story I, I, I'll tell it. And I fell in love with the idea, especially because uh, you know these connections, as a Christian, finding connections to the Bible in some ways is always a, a fascinating thing to me. And that, I I was on, I was on board. Um, and, you know, Charlie, unfortunately he's so busy, he hasn't been able to, to do a lot of drawings for it, but he did do a couple drawings on the website. So, if people go to Godawa.com you can click on the Dragon King part of the website and, um, um, I have some artwork there, and some of it includes uh, a couple pictures drawn by Charlie that are really cool. Um, awesome, but yeah, so so it was of his interest. He's of that that background. I I, I think he was born in Taiwan, but he's uh, got Chinese heritage. His, his heritage is Chinese China, and. Um, that, but that was, a, I think it was a great connection because we, it was so funny, we started talking about the story and he's like, you know what, but when we tell this, I don't want to make China the bad guys, even because, you know, we're telling the story of a tyrant, right? Right, tyrant right. But, like, but I don't want Chinese or the China culture, Chinese culture to be the bad guys. And I'm saying, yeah, but I don't want the West to be the bad guys because in <laughs> Hollywood, you know, in Hollywood nowadays and whenever you have East meets West, it's always the West Is ignorant and needs to learn something from the wise ancient East. And I'm like, look, we can learn from each other and we have good things and bad things about each other. So, our goal, like I said, going into it, we both brought that, we kept that balance of, okay, this is a story from a Western perspective. And that's how we get into it because the East is not as familiar to us. And particularly in Hollywood, that was our our starting point, you know. But we also wanted this to be a real learning cultural. Comparison learning experience for people. So, you know, we tried to bring out some of those cultural differences that you see between um, the Chinese and, and our, our Greco-Roman right, <laughs> modern right. culture, whatever, you know. You know, I think
0: the series is such a great idea because a lot of times we forget, you know, it kind of, especially as those who are Christians or come from a Christian tradition, you know, uh, the main pool of our knowledge of the ancient past is Egypt and Israel. Yeah. And you kind of forget that the whole world had stuff going on at the same time. And, uh, you know, there there are... uh, i don't know stories or like i don't know we'll, we'll call them stories of you know a, a christ figure showing up in in other places i mean the native americans have you know they have legends of a, a white man appearing in white robes coming down a mountain telling everybody basically you know the 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 message of the gospel mm-hmm. and then cruising out you know and that that sort of thing appears all over the place uh that was uh, that particular story happened far before christ was even born allegedly in the story. And uh, not that he was allegedly born, but the story happened much <laughs> yeah. before that. Um, you know, and there's so when you're in this new series of books, it seems like, you know, maybe you have some room to play around with the possibilities of what might have been going on around the world.
3: Absolutely. In fact, um, that's where I bring the Magi in because, see, the Magi allows me, they're Babylonian priests. They're astrologers and all this stuff. And, you know, basically, they were looking for the the star, and they were the ones who were looking for Messiah based on their astrological interpretation. So that was, there's something going on there, and there's a connection going on there. And Daniel was the one who taught them. So, um... So I think that this notion of looking for the emperor from heaven, right, right. Uh, whether you're in East or West, I think that too is a, a universal, certainly a universal desire and drive of all people. And so by bringing that in, that Magi notion in, we're able to bring in that spiritual yearning and hunger of which the earthly emperors are simply a corrupt version of it. You know what I mean? And right. and, and that's why the, the the theme of our story we wrestle with the pursuit of power. You know, and our hero is in a world of of emperors, you know, who who ha, who are all powerful and their power corrupts them, of course, as it always does. And and he's a guy who like, you know, he wants good. And he he thinks, you know, um, this is a warrior who a Greek warrior who thinks, well maybe if I can get power and use it for good instead of bad. You know, and that's a, that's an honest pursuit that many people in history have. But is is it possible? Is it possible to gain power and actually use it for good, or does it always corrupt? And these are some some of the issues in, that we're dealing with in, in in the theme. Because you know, I think that um, or or is truth a release of power rather than a gaining of power? You know these these kinds of things. And right. And, uh, so so with with Charlie Wen, just bringing it back to to him sure. the,
1: the co author here. What was his sort of contribution other than, you know, was he aware of sort of the, the paradigm, the, the you know, the Divine Council paradigm and the Nephilim and some of those ideas? And did that influence, you know, his understanding of ancient Chinese mythology? Or, or what, what was just basically his role in, you know, uh, putting this story together?
3: Well, you know, he was introduced to the Watcher paradigm through my novels, Chronicles, and Nephilim. And that's one of the reasons why I think we worked together well in this project, because when I realized... Charlie, this has a connection to the whole watcher paradigm. He understood it and and it, it worked well so but here 's the truth. The truth is is um, we it 's fifty fifty that we developed the story together and the, and many people don 't know that that you know creating a story and developing a story is you know, seventy-five percent writing. It's only about twenty-five percent. I did the writing because I'm the novelist and all that. But we create, crafted the story together. But really, we both learned and grew in our research, and it was very much of a uh, what's the word? Simpatico or you know, you know, yeah. synergy. Yeah, it was a synergy. It was very <laughs> much a synergy that this story came out of both of us bringing to, bringing to that that development process different aspects. So, uh, it's definitely 50-50 all the way. And, and, and in fact, in all honesty, I have to say that that I think it's probably one of my best developed stories because of that. You know, my other novels are all on my own and I do get feedback from people, but when you're working with a partner, I think that you're able to really challenge each other to go beyond and um whereas you might when you're writing on your own, it's sometimes excuse me, it's sometimes easier to um, you know, just sort of say, that's good enough." You know,
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go teamwork. Go. So,
3: yeah. I mean, it's, I definitely feel like this, this is a, this is a 50 50 thing. And I just, I wrote it only because I'm the, I'm the novelist. He's more the visual guy. Right. Right. <clears throat> now, do you, did you, uh, as
1: the, the new series of, you know, the Chronicles of the Watchers, uh, you know, you sort of left behind the Nephilim idea, but the, the, does the Nephilim, you know, make an appearance. Cameo. Yeah. Cameo. cameo. Is, there, is there a do, role to they play? They do.
3: There is a cameo. It's not, a, it's not huge, but they do figure into the climactic, uh, battle at the end of the story. Uh, wow. and it's not entirely made up manufactured either because, um, you know they also there are legends as well in china of giants and such and so um we tie it to the you know the reason why they built the great wall of course was because of what they who they called the barbarians to the north right and and um uh those some of those people were called the Nu and um, they weren't necessarily giants but in our story we bring in giants connected to them as the barbar- part of the barbarians right Excuse me, but there are legends in the Chinese past, even that the first emperor. There, you know, in my research of of the history of the first emperor, there is a reference to um, huge statues being made that were based on giants that were connected to the founding of his city. So um, I actually brought those in there, and then we do bring in, like you say, there is a cameo of the giants, but. But it's some it's it's a cameo.
0: Yeah, I think I saw an illustration recently that showed uh, the depiction of giant guards outside of some some uh, Chinese city. I didn't yes, go too it. far into it, but I did yeah. see that.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. You know, it's interesting too because the fans of my of my series in this in, in all the previous chronicles of the Nephilim, because the the research behind it's so wild i felt like you know i got i got to show these people that i didn't just make this up this is actually based on a lot of wild ancient research and people have really been appreciating because i put appendices, appendices at the back of each of my novels where i just sort of share some of the research people have been loving that stuff and i didn't in this book cuz i thought you know what let's try something different let's just keep it a Straightforward novel and and uh, it, you know so it's a little quicker quicker read and all that but uh, people are saying hey where's the appendix we love those appendices you know <laughs> so maybe in a future edition I'll I'll
0: I'll add that you've got some smart readers that's what that means
3: yeah that was that that I gotta say that that was a surprise to me in all honesty and I I don't mean to sound I certainly wouldn't want to sound condescending, but um, I I actually originally put the appendices in there for two reasons. One, because when I read a Michael Crichton novel, I loved it that at the end of the novel he would have an appendix where he explained the real science that his fictional science was based on. And so I enjoyed that myself. And then secondly, I thought coming into the series, uh, Chronicles of the Nephilim, you know, I'm like, okay, this stuff's wild. Watchers, giants, Nephilim. And I know as a, I come from a conservative evangelical background. It was shocking for me when I first started to explore these ideas. And it's shocking because we're taught not to think this way, and that it's maybe heretical even to think this way. Um, But it is the ancient biblical context. So basically, we're taught, modern evangelicals are taught to interpret the Bible through our own modern paradigm rather than seek to understand what how did the ancient people to whom it was written, how did they understand it, you know, in that sense. And so um I had I wrote the appendixes because I felt like Christians are going to read this and they're gonna be shocked and freaked and maybe they might go, this is heretical, right? So I said, well if I can show them, oh no, look, it's in the Bible and historical stuff, you know, then then maybe it'll help them. And I didn't realize that so many people would actually appreciate that element. So you're right. They ended up being a much more intelligent audience than I had even given them, you know, the the, the credit for. So I was schooled in that sense, you know. But it was very encouraging because, you know, uh, I love doing that. So I'll just keep doing it.
0: Boom. Um, boom. Okay, <laughs> so I got to know. Are you going to do... Uh, I mean, you don't have to give away secrets here, but are you gonna do like uh, other versions from around the world? Maybe a, some sort of African king trying to, maybe. or uh, how the watch is? Maybe a, a an Andy. old, a, a Russian, uh, whatever they had back then. Probably yeah. yeah. No, I know, guess I, everything was kings an
3: back ancient then. Ancient Putin.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> or maybe South America or something. Yeah, you know, we're we're thinking about that and talking about it, and um, not sure yet, but. But one obvious possibility is to tell the story of Daniel, to go back and do a prequel, of course. Uh-huh. And, you know, and then you've got the watchers battling it in Greece, you know, in Greece and Persian stuff. So we might do that, you know, um, and it might be more than three novels anyway. So, um, we're still actually developing that right now. We're not entirely sure. Sure. So any suggestions, I would be glad to, to, to listen.
0: <laughs> oh, you and I, buddy, we're gonna, we're gonna <laughs> make something happen.
1: Gonna go down to the local coffee shop. You, you can always do, uh, Look into some of the Japanese stuff too, which is sort of a, a dovetail off of the Chinese stuff, but yeah, that's it's, a good point. It's, it's some of the I, I've read some of the uh, uh, you know, the ancient Shinto um scriptures and stuff just to see what they were all about. And I mean, mm-hmm. they're just demons everywhere, <laughs> really? demons creating other demons, and wow. it's just like wow, okay, this is yeah, well, uh, and in Japan, absurd.
0: demon, demon kind of has a different connotation too, right? Yeah. It's more of like a general spiritual thing. Yes. Yeah. Some demons are kind of here to help some people out. Some and are bad. Good
1: demons or bad. De- and Japan's really uh, very into the supernatural. They're they're into ghosts and and oh, all yeah. this stuff. They're they're really you know they have a whole paradigm there where they it's embedded into their culture and it's yeah. you know when you start digging in it's pretty profound. But yeah, they're they're into like the good demons, the bad demons, the you know, the the mischievous ones and all that stuff. So I'm sure you well, can have fun with that if you
3: ever dig into yeah. it. Yeah, or, you know, I mean, I know that there's a lot of stuff about giants in, in like, England and, and oh, yeah. right. the Nordic countries and stuff, and, like, well, there's a lot. I, I haven't researched as much as, as the Middle East, you know, but uh, as well as South America, you know, I mean, there, there's some great possibilities there, so absolutely. Yeah.
1: Eventually, you're going to run out of places to... Yeah. to to do stuff and then you're just going to have to make things up you know giants
0: yeah. on the moon <laughs>
1: Like deep in the ocean, you know, amphibious oh, yeah, yeah. amphibious giants or something. <laughs>
3: yeah, or maybe I'll just start writing some other kinds of stories. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about uh, done with this. You
0: can you, you, the world is open to you, buddy. When it comes <laughs> to that, so that's awesome. So now I'm curious. Uh, it seems like with every book you write, you know, your series kind of gets a little bit closer to the mainstream. Not not in its writing or content, but just the the popularity. It's kind of getting out there. Um, how's how's this one doing? Is it getting uh, some attention um, from the from the mainstream, or it generally Christian, or should we all buy this for our uh, <laughs> pagan Uncle Phil? <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, you know, it, you're right though. In that, it is definitely. Um, it's definitely got a you know Judeo Christian worldview to it, but it is not as as uh, strongly focused as the Chronicles of the Nephilim, which were, of course, Bible stories. So, yeah, I do think this is definitely much more mainstream, and we intend to try to sell it to some Hollywood studio and, and try to get it made as a movie, and that's why we wrote it in that more mainstream vein. Right. Um, but when we discovered that, that there were more biblical connections than we actually thought, we, we didn't start out wanting to do that. And the more we found, that was when we realized, well, we've got to get the novel out because... You know, Hollywood rapes it, <laughs> and right. they may take all the good stuff out. You know, yeah, all the, right. you know, the good stuff that we want in there, right? And so we thought we got to have our own version out, and that's one reason why we did the novel first, anyway. Yeah, right.
1: I would be upset to see, you know, uh, the the Dragon King turn into, you know. Brendan yeah. Fraser chasing around,
3: you know, Jet Li, <laughs> the mummy Fraser. tomb of the dragon emperor, you know, perfect. yeah, yeah, or, you know, you know, just those subtle Judeo-Christian connections to Yahweh and to the Bible, you know, that they'll go, well, let's, let's not, we don't, because here's the crazy insanity of Hollywood, they'll see that and they'll go, well, we don't want to offend people who aren't Christians, so let's take that out. You right. know, it doesn't cross their minds that no, no, actually, that widens your audience, you idiots. Right. <laughs> but because they're secular and godless, they think it's offensive, right? And so they're. Let me tell you, this happens all the time, you know. And and they, they well, that'll be offensive. But then they'll put other pagan things in there, and they're not offended oh, yeah, by that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's just so insane that we want to have a, a good version out there. So no matter what happens, you know, now, doesn't, awesome. the, doesn't the script
1: writer, and this is you know a little bit off topic, but doesn't the script writer ultimately have sort of the, the control over that? Or is it something mm. I, I've heard different poor, things from different guns? What? <laughs> Such
0: naivete <laughs> oh, no, of the I, industry. I've,
1: okay. No, I've, I've heard <laughs> no, different things from different people that, you know, uh, are in the movie making business and, I've heard stories about how ultimately, you know, in certain instances, it's best to be the screenwriter because they can, you know, once you have like the authors of the books, once, you know, it gets sold to a, a whatever, Hollywood, whatever, you know, a uh, movie creation thing, whatever it, it becomes theirs and, and they can kind of make their own interpretations. Yes. But then the, 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 what the script writer, is that the, yes, the screenwriter. That screenwriter? Yeah. Yep. Ultimately, sort of has the final say in in how things get portrayed and sort of delivered to the screen, so to speak.
3: No, actually, that's Depends not really entirely. It's partially bills, true. I it, it, it's partially true. Okay. Um, and let me explain. Um, actually, the one who has the the one who has the most control is those who have the money. They have the power. <laughs> yeah, okay. And not really. And so, yeah, yeah. so they basically hire. So, basically, you hire a director or a writer who will do it your way, basically, and, you know, and when I say that, I don't mean, like, you're going to dictate to them, but you find someone who, who thinks the way you do, has the same idea about it, you know, uh, and that's why they, they have relationships with people, you find out, you let let them come in and pitch their take on it, but uh, ultimately, that's it, and then, secondly, comes the director and of course you know if you're an auteur director you have a lot more control but most people aren't that don't have that power and even very good directors are still at the behest they do not have final cut final cut means they determine what the final movie's going to be and if you know anything about editing you know you can completely change a movie by editing it and make it do the exact opposite even yeah. and then lastly is the screenwriter now the 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 one thing that the screenwriter can do is if you are a great writer you can give them what they want but if you're good you can um hide spin it and hide your own sort of perception in in there you know hide your own interpretation into it and they don't always find that some a lot of times they do because directors are smart and so can producers be in terms of story wise but i have spun things in my you know from my perspective that they don't necessarily catch. You've played the game. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but truthfully at the end of the day though, they're, they really, they're smart about story and they can see what you're doing. And so, um, so for example, (laughs) um, a movie (laughs) that I'm working on right now, actually is I'm working on a Bible movie and for a legit Hollywood producer. And, and they want, they want it to appeal to the Christian market. They don't want to lose that market. Imagine that guys, imagine that you don't want to turn off the Christians. So therefore don't do anything that offends them. And we want it to stick close to the Bible, you know? And um, so that's a really, really fantastic thing. But, but at the end of the day, they, they, you know, they don't, they're not Christians, and so they don't really understand the market. They need to have someone in there. They need to hire people like marketing guys who do know the market so they can educate them on it. And that's that's what, in fact, is happening with us. And um, and hopefully I'll be able to—I'll um, let you guys know when I can speak more about that movie. It will be the coolest Bible movie in the last 10 years and it's the one you would least expect. You would not expect this. Like it's not David. It's not you know. It's not even Joshua or Moses or any of that kind of stuff. Well, I think you spilled the beans a little bit on episode oh, 100. I? Yeah, so we know ah.
1: we know what it is. It's <laughs> it's the female character. Yes. Okay. We'll try to have okay, so. the listeners dig into episode 100 and go back to somewhere yeah,
0: in that yeah. seven hours. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think yeah, Brian was the first one, so maybe that's easier to find. Oh, but you're
3: giving it away. Yeah. <laughs> But That's
0: right. I, I, we're I've putting the gi- beans back in the bag.
3: So far, I've got a. I do have a giant in it, and I have a lion man of Moab. Yes. Oh, All yeah. I can say is, so far, second draft. They have not. They have no problems with it whatsoever. However, a lot of things can change when we talk. When we really have to get down to the nitty gritty about budget, and sometimes it, it, you know it, it becomes. Oh, you know what? We only got half of what we're what we thought we were going to do for the movie. So cut a lot of stuff out. So you can never know what's going to end up in the final one. But so far, uh and I explained it to them, and they got it. They expect they accepted it. I said, this is in the Bible. I know this is shocking, but they're giants in the Bible. And they even knew, uh, the, the 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 main producer even knew about the Nephilim before I even told them. So that was kind of cool, mm. too.
1: So, yeah. Is this is yeah. someone that... uh uh, if you mention the name that everyone would sort of no, no no okay
3: but these guys are they are big movie producers they 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 don't do they're not like spielberg or anything like that but they make a lot of movies they get out there they have a lot of a list stars in them so this would this could this has the potential if if they like it enough that's another element about Hollywood. Is you know you could start out loving something, but then as time goes on and as they develop that they, they may, it's possible they could lose interest. You just never know. Sure. Uh, but if they do like it and they get uh, they could, if they get A list talent, it'll it'll keep interest. But if it becomes more of a low budget movie, you know, then uh, it'll be a whole different beast. <laughs> Who knows? What it'll turn out to be really In I, I, interpretive I just, acting with a, yeah. A you know the what face. I
0: found fascinating is that a lot of uh you know new age would be one group but a a lot of secular or new age or occult or just you know just regular folk more of them are beginning to at least hear about the nephilim yes yeah it's really fascinating that the nephilim is almost you know uh, uh, as well you know thanks to ancient aliens who mentioned them a couple (laughs) times and you know the the concept of the nephilim is really getting out there i've i've been talking to people who i never would have imagined would even you know even if they read it in the bible would have even if they read the bible at all much less read genesis 6 much less any of that that yeah. they would even catch the nephilim but they're picking it up here and there
3: yeah, absolutely. And and there it's been in movies and you, even in that um what was that one the uh Immortal Immortal Bones. Or wait, I can't remember was something something like Immortal City or Mortal Bones or something mm. like that where they they had nephilim in there as well. Um where they were, you know, and they, and they were the progeny modern day story, but they were the progeny of angels and humans and and so, yeah, this stuff is showing up, and you're right. And I, I know that there's been several movies around town with Nephilim in it, but you, they just haven't gotten made yet.
0: Right, so. right. Well, that's fascinating. It's it's interesting to watch the stuff kind of go mainstream. We just had some guests yeah. on uh, before who were kind of they were talking about Babylon stuff, but was really getting a mainstream uh, kind of traction. So it's 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 really interesting.
3: Yeah, yeah. We'll see what happen. let we'll see what the future brings with that. Amen. Let, let me ask you this about just
1: just Marvel, in, in case uh, you know, since you had Charlie at your sort of at your side there as you researched and wrote this the story. When I look at Marvel and and the, those stories that you know they all intertwine the whole Marvel universe and yeah. and all that. There's a lot of parallel to just ancient mythology um yeah. there's there's reference even you know the the next uh x-men i believe apocalypse there's you know they they, they paint apocalypse as they even say in the trailer you know he was known as karishna yahweh and you know like,
0: they, oh, they, they, actually say, that part. they actually say jehovah jehovah
1: oh, okay they do-
3: Oh, my gosh. You know, it's so funny, guys. I did not catch that. But when I saw whatever trailer I did see of that, and they, I just saw this one being, and he was supposed to be a god. And I thought, oh, I bet he'll call himself Yahweh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah and he's got, you know, and there's a whole scene where, you know, he has, uh, historically, he has his four henchmen or whatever and you know one of the characters is like like the four horsemen of the apocalypse yeah and you know they're like well you know maybe the bible was based on this guy you know like trying to twist it all around or whatever yeah. but yeah. like what i mean so charlie as a christian i mean i wish he was on but you know as a christian seeing You're that cool too brian yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i mean i'm just curious because you know he must have seen the sort of i guess twisting of some of those the ideas rising
0: and, tide of these references and yeah Eastern culture.
1: Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm curious how he felt about it. You know, if, if he's ever, yeah. you know, con-
3: consulted with you about that at all. Yeah. You know, I, I actually haven't talked to him about that. That That's a really good question. I think I will, I think I will bring it up and talk and ask him about that. Although he was out by, by Ant-Man was the last one he worked on. So, um, this is, that, is X-Men Marvel? I believe so. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. That, no, I, mean, I don't think he Avengers as, is, but I don't think X-Men is, because he, he never mentioned X-Men. Well, maybe, I don't know. I don't I'm going
0: to look it up right now. Is
3: Wait, X-Men. Marvel, sure X-Men there's is, some though. nerds
0: out there yelling at us. <laughs> as, yeah,
3: <laughs> really. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Yeah, X-Men, X-Men Marvel.
0: Marvel Universe wiki. Okay. Yeah, looks all like right.
3: it. Sorry. You know, it's funny. That's one That's one that he never mentioned in, in all of our discussions. So, I, I don't know, but but I know he was out before they developed that one for sure. But, okay. Uh,
0: I Uh, love your nerds, uh, by the way. That was not a derogatory nerds. (laughs) That was a a nerds (laughs) of love. You just offended,
3: like, our entire audience. (laughs) I know, I
0: uh, just want to say, I'm I'm one of you.
1: Yes,
3: yes. (laughs) But, you know, here's what I think is happening, you guys, and that is, you know, there's a good side and a bad side to it, and that is that that look, you know, we are in a obviously a very materialistic and secular culture in the West, but there's also a, a backlash now and a turn and a uh, turn back towards spirituality, and right. and you know it begins with a turn to mythology and the symbols and and imagery of of the past and of the supernatural, and these are the the legends and the myths and stuff, and right. the secular mind, of course, is approaching this as you know what this isn't real, but this is fa- you know this is really fascinating. Um, uh, uh, uh imagery and and symbolism and all that, and they see it as symbolism certainly yeah. and they you know I think there's a this side of all of us that you know we like the idea of taking something uh, of the past, not making it up ourselves, but taking something from the past and bringing it up to the present there's a right. kind of uh uh rootedness in history that makes us feel a little bit more important when we do that rather than just making something up, and finding connections between other cultures from the past and i think that that's what's happening is they're they're drawing you know if you look at the last uh not the last but uh i don't don't remember which one but one of the last avengers movies the one that had the um uh i think it was age of ultron i think think it was the age of ultron the one with the big sea dragons at the end right the ones that came out of the sky was that the age of ultron uh uh, yeah maybe it might have
0: been the first one i vaguely remember I i actually didn't see the new
3: one Okay, I think it was one right before Age of Ultron. Yeah, I think it was. And basically, they had these big, huge, Leviathan-like creatures, Mm -hmm. and they were like, they looked like sea dragons, but they were flying in the sky, and they were machines, but they operated and looked like sea dragons, right? And it was very much like, and of course, the pantheon of superheroes, and Hulk, you see Hulk, his fist, he he crushes the head of one of them which is just like Baal, you know, uh, defeating Le- uh, Leviathan. And, you know, they draw from these ancient pagan wellspring, but also they draw from, you know, because they are also come from the um, Joseph Campbell school of of that all religions kind of all the same, Right, just right the right. same thing. And, and I understand that.
0: The hero's journey. And right. All right. The so
3: they'll the include stuff. the Bible as well. Um, and, of course, there is some truth to that. But we as Christians know that, that, that the biblical concept is more polemical. We see it more as a, you know, yeah, they appropriate Baal imagery in the Bible. God appropriates Baal imagery. He uses language that was used of Baal. He uses it of himself. He calls himself the cloud rider, just like Baal was the cloud rider. Why does he do that? Is it because he's drawing from other religions? No, he's actually being polemical. He's saying, Baal is not God, Yahweh is God. That right. is the cloud rider, right? So there's that polemical aspect of the Hebrew um, culture that doesn't come through. But nonetheless...
0: And Jesus did the same thing in the New Testament as well. <laughs> Absolutely. A, lo- a lot of his titles were actually sort of stolen from Caesar, and that was a, f- a very purposeful thing.
3: Exactly. Okay, so, but anyway, but, you know, coming from the secular mindset and what they're doing, you know, to them, it's just this, we have a, they're drawing from the history of... Of cultural imagery and and that stuff resonates with us because it is our heritage, so you we artists use the things that resonate already, and then we invest it with our own meaning, and that 's yeah. very commonly what, what everyone does, but that 's also where you get subversion, where you know you're, you like the movies Noah or Exodus, where they use biblical things that are common to us, but then they spin it and twist it. And corrupt it to their because they invest it with their own pagan interpretation see, and then that's that 's how you control the cultures is by controlling the the narrative and and the controlling the the imagination and imagery of the culture, all these symbols and imagery and so that 's what I think is happening with this lust for you know superheroes in our culture i think it's it 's the backlash against the scientific materialistic worldview that we have you know a culture and man man needs god we have that vacuum in us and so after a period of time that materialism is no no longer satisfactory and and they want spirituality but they don't want the living god right so the substitute becomes and of course they don't want they don't want literal religions because religions are evil. But let's just use the mythology of it because that still captures this transcendence, this right, notion right. of something. And this is what I think is kind of going on with, with the creators of the Marvel Universe and such. They're actually tapping into a religious spirit, and they're being very religious, even if they don't realize that they are, by drawing from that. And so so they're, they're investing old pagan notions of the pantheon of gods with a new modern meaning yeah i i have
1: to agree with you wholeheartedly there because you know i i just saw a couple weeks ago i saw batman versus superman or whatever the the dc comic side of the whole
0: god versus the devil versus man thing was very heavily yeah and and
1: the messianic imagery of superman was over the top i mean there were crosses Mm -hmm. when he died in the background and it was it was pretty blatant you know he's he's floating in the sky you got someone you know in a flood that's standing on a rooftop and he's don't mention the last shot
0: don't mention it for those who haven't seen it yeah it's okay but it's very uh messianic well, and also the the new trailer, which I uh, mean guns were just Go and I were just talking about, was uh, Doctor Strange, which is very hev- heavily spiritual, and actually watching the trailer made me go back and read the comic uh, just to see what it 's all about and yeah, I mean, talk about searching for spiritual uh, stuff I mean this is basically just a, a big old party for the new age and the occult. Um, uh, you know, uh, making its way into the pantheon of of Marvel, you know, the yes. the mountain of uh, Olympus that is Marvel.
3: You know, now that's interesting you mentioned the Doctor Strange. I didn't know that there's a, I'll have to check that trailer out, but um, you may not know this, but the writer-director of that movie is actually a Christian.
0: Well, see, and- I find that really interesting because I was talking to some Christians and, you know, the, these may be some Christians that a lot of people uh, wouldn 't agree with they 're by no means traditionalists, mm-hmm. um, but they were actually saying how you know i 'm not going to say that they thought uh, Doctor Strange was a Christian movie, but they were talking about there 's a lot of this interdimensional stuff there 's a lot of uh you know going into other spiritual realms and and kind of accomplishing tasks and things like that um, that you know in their eyes was is actually a very Christian thing on a certain level. But, you know, it's kind of being hijacked, and it's interesting to know that the director is Christian, so maybe we'll see yeah. s- something turn
3: around there. Yeah. Or... Now, in Hollywood, that doesn't always mean that um, it's right. going to end up, because... The money frankly, still talks. Yeah, the it's... money still talks, and also, not all Christians in Hollywood... Uh, have the same sort of view of the Bible and of Christianity. Anyway, a lot of times there are a lot of Christians who have become very much like Hollywood. Right. And uh, so I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see if if, if that's the case here.
0: It would be um, difficult. From what I researched about Doctor Strange, it would be kind of difficult to Christianize it. But
3: oh, really? Okay. Who
0: knows? God can do miracles.
3: Yeah. Oh, he's the <laughs> oh that's right. He's a he's a magician, isn't he? Yeah.
0: He's <laughs> he's the he's the sorcerer supreme is his, what okay. who he is in the comic book and he's sort of uh you know if he was a neurosurgeon and you know, something happens to his hands and so he becomes the sorcerer supreme and kind of goes into other dimensions and battles uh, things like demons and other weird spiritual stuff but he's all, it's kind of all occulty he casts spells and uses pendants and symbols and things like that. Oh
3: that will be very interesting because see the director is Scott Derrickson, from what I understand, and he did the Exorcism of Emily Rose. Mm. Oh. He did Deliver Us from Evil, both of which were very strongly. I would argue, I have argued that they are very strongly Christian movies dealing with demon demonic yeah. possession.
0: I was somehow able to convince my mother to let me watch uh, the Exorcism of Emily Rose. Yeah, uh, on that basis.
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah,
3: and uh, but interestingly, at the same time, though, he also. <laughs> He also did uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, which was basically mm. a Noah movie uh, that was very much the same theory, the very same pagan worldview of, you know, environmentalism that right. the movie Noah was. Yeah. So right. yeah. it's like, you know. Who, who I did know? think
0: that was a fascinating movie, though. It was kind of fun. But yeah, totally a, a kind of a, uh, if, if even a slight uh, twist, yes. or, you know, or whatever you want to call it twist is the light term i'm using sure um so yeah
1: it seems to be a lot of in my view anyway a lot of apocalyptic themes you know antichrist figures and stuff like that that can be woven into the storytelling of you know if a christian is writing or or directing a doctor strange it it, yeah it could very much you know that that sort of understanding of the antichrist the beast system can influence sort of how he you know creates the character and
0: totally And there is, and I want to know what you think about this, Brian, because on one hand, I think it's interesting that the kind of zeitgeist of the people is leaning towards spiritual truth. It kind of shows that people are yearning for spiritual truth, spiritual experiences, spiritual, uh, you know, the spirit in their life. Um, and so we get movies like Noah, which, you know, has its problems, but it is technically a Bible story. Right. And, you know, I haven't heard any stories of anybody getting saved after watching Noah. So I can't really say that we have any firm data points about <laughs> any sort of evangelical or evangelistic uh, sure. you know outcomes from these types of movies. We also had, um, what was the other one? Uh, it doesn't matter. So you have all these biblically based movies coming out. However, you know, it's always a controversy. But at the same time, it's getting, you know, people to watch Bible based movies where maybe before, back in the day, they wouldn't have watched you know, the Ten Commandments if they weren't already Christian. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, it's a real dichotomy. Again, I'm not going to say that these are evangelistic tools or by any means people are trying to use them as that. But what's your thought on just the general allure to the spiritual and kind of Hollywood's reaction to that? Is there any good coming from this?
3: Sure. I I would have to admit and agree that um, uh, anything that would, I'm I'm curious and 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 I'm grateful for anything that will draw people's attention towards their need for uh for a God or their need or their spiritual hunger that's inside of them. Their you know that 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 is certainly a good thing. It's and, at least and,
0: the first step towards
3: absolutely, god. absolutely. And now you know, keep in mind. You know, my understanding though is uh, you know whatever whatever spin a movie brings to a Bible story, um. Is to that extent the corruption or the manipulation uh, that is negative about it? So it's I, I'm not happy that they're watching a Bible movie, but where I would agree with you is um, it. What actually does happen is it makes people go back to read the Bible story, and that's definitely been that's been um, a proven fact. That lots of people go back after Noah, after Exodus, and they go back and they read the Bible stories from that. That's actually been proven to be true. So that is a good thing, and I certainly appreciate that. And it also allows us to be able to talk about these things, to to. <coughs> to our yeah, coworkers and neighbors. Up conversation. I, at least I hope Christians are doing that. You know, I mean, I hope you're not like letting this opportunity go by when, you know, like when these Bible movies came out, it's like, well, hey, did you see Noah? What did you think about it? You know, well, I, I'm actually very familiar with the, actually, have you ever read the Bible story? Well, guess what? Here's how it really was. And, or whatever. You know, I mean, these are the things <laughs> what that were those there,
0: big, weird rock creatures.
3: Yeah, exactly. What were they really like in the Bible? And, you know, um, that's, we should be using those as opportunities to talk about those things. And, and I just, that's what I've always done. And um, I hope people, Christians, don't miss those opportunities because um, they are more open now to spiritual things than they have been in, in a long time. And that's a good thing, you know?
0: Right. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I, I do want to keep people you know, thinking about that, that even though bad things are happening all over the place, uh, spin is putting up, being put on every little thing to, you know, yeah. draw people away from Christ. At least the conversation is going on. And yeah, you know, we can complain about the the, you know, Luciferian Hollywood. We can complain about all that, which, sure. you know, nothing wrong with complaining about it, sure. but at least it's giving you a reason to bring up a conversation about the Bible and about Jesus when before... You know, you were, your only option was to be like, you know,
3: have you heard about Jesus Christ today? Yeah. Anyone? Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, I mean, I, I, I think most movies can become springboards for really talking about your faith because, and, and I don't mean that as a, as a manipulative tool. I just simply mean movies, you know, people, writers, directors, and producers who create content in movies, we want meaning. And it's just that people in Hollywood tend to have a more of a secular humanistic meaning in the way they interpret life, but nonetheless, they're seeking some kind of transcendence. And so, most movies, whether or not you agree with what they're actually trying to communicate, it could be very offensive to you, but they, they often do reflect a hunger for this transcendence or a desire for courage or beauty or truth or sacrifice. And these are things that we should be able to connect with as Christians and use those as, as springboards to say, you know, but of course, you know, is, is there any real sacrifice? If there is no God, is this epic sacrifice of this warrior worth it? Or right. is it just a wasted human life? Because if there's no afterlife, then it's, then it's a waste, you know? Those are the kind of things that I, that I often use movies to talk about.
0: Yeah, and I, I do want to say <laughs> out there, I understand the opposing argument. Um, I don't need to get into a bunch of Facebook conversations about why I'm wrong about this. So I do understand those of you out there who are still angry about Hollywood and what it's doing to biblical movies. Um, you are you are not forgotten. Just disclaimer. <laughs> 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 I'm really into disclaimers lately. Yeah. I just want everybody to know that they're understood and they're heard, and we do, we don't have to agree okay <laughs> moving on thanks <laughs> thank you basil for that show-stopping comment yeah
1: uh speaking of things that we don't necessarily have to agree on but we can sort of rejoice in sort of the truth of the gospel and everything else you know brian we've asked you in the past about like bible prophecy and what do you think and all this stuff and you were like i'm not really into it i'm not you know that's not i have different views on it and stuff like that Mm -hmm. well i'm seeing on your page here a 10 lecture (laughs) series called bible prophecy in the end times it's not what they told you are you peddling the preterist here (laughs)
3: Yes, I am. <laughs> and I hope you're not going to keep me off your show. No, not at all. Um, not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. And and here's the thing. Ironically, it was something that I actually was... I kind of have phases and stages, you know, where I, I get really absorbed into something and I'll study it for five years or something. And then I kind of move on to other stuff. And it's still an interest of mine. But it had actually it had actually been something that I had stopped really reading on and studying on quite a few years ago. But what happened was when I started putting things together in my, in my own storyline of the Chronicles of Nephilim and all that stuff, and I sort of came to realize that I, I, I had to write some novels about, I, I wasn't done, I wasn't done with Chronicles of Nephilim, and there was supposed to be a sequel series um, about the writing of the Book of Revelation, um the time period where John was alive and when he was writing Revelation and um and what happened at the destruction of the temple uh and and this and 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 the uh city of Jerusalem by the Romans in seventy AD. This is a time period, historically speaking, I I'm just I love history. So historically speaking, I love the story. It's the story that's in Josephus's War of the Jews. Right. And I want to retell that story. Um and that's that's what I'm doing in the next series. I do incorporate and, and interpret it through through that grid of preterism. Um, so it's going to be shocking and offensive to some people, but it will actually <laughs> be my probably my best novels ever. It's going to be yeah. the coolest story. And quite frankly, I'm confident enough that you don't have to agree with the interpretations of everything to appreciate the historical truth that I am going to have in there. And it's going to be footnoted. Um, it's going to be footnoted because I know that things are going to be so bizarre to people. They're going to go, what? That can't possibly be. And I'm, I'm, so I'm footnoting. I have more text. I have the same amount of text in my footnotes as I have in the Bible. (laughs) And not the Bible, in the, in the novel, not the Bible. I was going to say, which footnotes? This is is what I've been working on. And I kind of, you know, this is actually recent. I didn't, uh, I did not anticipate writing this when I was doing the Nephilim stuff and that's why, even at that time, I was saying, look, you know, I don't want to go into the probable prophecy, because I really hadn't been into it for a long time. And even now, I don't want to get into it until I get the first novel out, because it's got to set the stage to talk about that stuff. So, But I honestly... I'm going to contact you guys. I'm going to hound you to have me on the show, and we can have a friendly discussion. I'm I, I'm confident you're you're going to love the story anyway, but um, it would probably be a great opportunity to talk to someone about a different viewpoint that is not as, you know, common. Yeah. yeah well, I, I've I've
1: looked at the preterist view, and I've I I think there's some excellent points that are brought up with the, the, you know, the potential fulfillment of 70 AD and some sure. of the things that happened there. But, you know, it's, it's definitely, again, I am more, um, I guess, open, uh, to, A partial preterist perspective than than a full preterist view. Uh, If if I have to go preterist, then I I would go partial. Yes. Uh, Yes. But um, it's interesting that you you know I mean I'm just reading through some of the things you listed here, Uh, Israel and prophecy, the last days, the rapture. I mean these are all topics that are highly debated even within you know the the premillennial you know uh, camp if you want to call it that too. So it'll be interesting to get your take on all this and. Um, you know, I think all of us, not all of us, but many of us in this sort of niche look at something like the Left Behind series and think, oh, boy, you know, th- this is almost a a modern mythology that they've created about, yeah, yeah. about what, you know, what the whole Rapture thing even is about. So,
3: yeah, yeah. Uh, you
1: know, With, the, yeah,
3: you know, one of the one of the ads that I'm working on, I think uh, headlines is going to be hate left behind. You'll <laughs> love Chronicles of the Apocalypse. <laughs> but, uh,
0: just, That's just, good. You trampling. share that one It'll be in huh? a few
3: months and and um uh Yeah, so I'll I'll definitely be contacting you guys then, and that—that was part of the other reason why I didn't want to talk about it because I know that the whole prophecy crowd is very, you know, they study it very well, and I, like I said, I hadn't been in into prophecy for a while, so I would be really rough and rusty around the edges. So, in the process of me writing this first novel and sort of outlining for the the series, um, it's helping me to kind of get back. Oh yeah, in the swing of things, and oh yeah, some of these different. You know, what about Ezekiel and what about this and that? You know, I forgot about all that stuff. And so it's given me a chance to sort of brush up on that. You know, I'm still, you know, I'm no scholar on it. So, uh, I, 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 I like to call myself, well, I'm, I'm a, I'm a dramatist or I'm a, I'm a fiction writer. I'm not a theologian. So I can, I can basically say I don't know to a lot of questions. Right.
0: Isn't that a wonderful thing? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that just so free? <laughs> no, sometimes. that's a good
3: question. I
1: just don't know. <laughs> And it's yeah. People get mad at you for that. Well, it's just so obvious.
2: <laughs> well,
1: well, maybe not. Um you know, we as we sort of wrap up here, I kinda wanna get your take. And this is this is for the listeners who, you know, maybe are listening to this conversation, you know, listening to you as an author, um, and sort of, you know, want maybe tips or maybe uh just general um, you know, ideas or things that you do you know, because I'm, I, you know, I'm listening to you talking, oh, I have this, you know, I just wrote this book, I published it, and, and then I'm writing this next book, and then I, I've been working on this book, and I'm just, I, I'm amazed, Brian. I, I have no idea how you are able to, like, publish, what, <laughs> eight, eight books in, like, three years, and, you know, work with other people in the process. What What is kind of your strategy for, um, you know, writing
0: Hans is looking for some personal advice here. So. No, you know
1: what? Yes, partially. But also, I know there's people out there that, because, that, you know, sure. we get messages where you well, know, it's we, a, people so, want to, to have that creative outlet, you know, as a Christian. Right, right. Creatively
0: it. accomplishing your creative goals and, and passions in yeah. general is yes. a huge thing.
3: Well, first of all, you got to know, it's my full-time job, my day job. I, I make my income writing novels, which means all the novels I have on Amazon, is, I, I make an income. And so therefore, I'm able to do it full time. And right then, right there, you know, you guys have this awesome podcast that are getting thousands of listeners that I don't have. So you're putting your work into that stuff as well as your writing and everything else. So I'm I'm focusing right now a lot of attention on writing novels because it's 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 uh, I was able to develop it into an income. Which, as a writer, as a professional writer, um, to be honest with you, as a screenwriter in particular, it's a very difficult. It's a very difficult lifestyle because there's a lot of ups and downs in the income and stuff, and um, and quite frankly, some bad years. I've had some bad years, and so uh, uh, and you can be a very good writer but still not be doing well because there's you know it's a it's a big pool out there, you know. Um, so don't feel too bad if you're seeing me putting out all this stuff cuz that's all I do and I don't have kids. So, you know, I pretty much write, you know, morning, noon and night except for all the interruptions like you these got a podcasts. Lot of free time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you know, and so and I really focus on my art. So, but I can tell you this. When I had the normal day job, which was a graphic designer for many years and I first got married and such, um I did have that more of a normal lifestyle where I had to find time and had to scrunch it in and all that. And, you know, go to work, come home, spend time with the wife or family, also have some church activities or whatever throughout the week, various things, various responsibilities you got to do. And then basically you sit down at the end of the night's, it's nine o'clock and you've got one or two hours. Or, or if you wake up at five so that you can have a few hours before you go to work. I've lived that life for, may, for many years before I, I was a full-time writer. And um, what I did was I just fought to have my you know, two to three hours a day. And sometimes it was only two hours that I could get. Sometimes only an hour. But you just seek to develop the habit. It's keeping the habit Regularity, even if it 's just a little bit of time, because that 's what what builds that what builds you over time you know it 's sort of like even if you only spent one hour a day working on writing and what you have to do if you after a month that 's thirty hours and that 's pretty good you know, and time flies when you 've got a busy life, so even if you could only get an hour a day, <clears throat> the main goal was when I started out was I just have to commit and keep that habit, even if i didn 't know what to do, I had to sit down and force myself to come, you know, to try to write, to do research or whatever, and, uh, just be consistent. And over time you would end up, you end up getting somewhere, you know? Um, it just takes time. You gotta have patience, you know? Right. And so that was one element. Um, and I, you know, I, I actually am a self-taught person too. I didn't go to school or anything like that. I basically, you know, uh, and this was, <laughs> I started before there was an internet. So uh, I had to go and buy all the books I could on screenwriting or storytelling. I went to all the seminars I could. I went to, um, <clears throat> pitch fests and, you know, I found out. All the different things you can go to to try to make connections cool. for Hollywood and all that kind of stuff. You're bringing and, back bad memories. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, and it was. <laughs> you know, interestingly, my first movie got made having nothing to do with all that that I did. I actually met a, a, my my pastor, one of my pastors at a church I was going to, had the rights to a novel, and he had been producing movies on the side, very, very, very infrequently. But we we struck up a relationship. He 's like, "You know what I really like your writing. Hey, what do you think about adapting this novel and it, or this book and it ended up being what my first movie was, which was Twendall all wars and um so it's it, but but i don 't believe that therefore i shouldn 't have done all that stuff because you have to do everything you can to try to to try to um break in so you know do the research on how to find an agent how to get your scripts to producers or if you're writing books how to get your books to publishers try everything that you can and and just get ready for a long long list of rejection (laughs) you know um but it's all about just who's going to endure and are you serious about it? Cause if you are, you're going to stick through it and you're going to use your rejections as inspiration to continue to work harder to do better. Okay. Well, those people don't know a good book when they see it, but I'm going to write the next one even so much better that they're going to wish they had me as a, you know, whatever. That's, that's the mentality that a real writer has. He doesn't give up. She doesn't give up just because multiple, multiple rejections and, um, <clears throat> You write because you have to. That's what a writer is. A writer is someone who writes because they have to. A lot of times it's miserable. It's a lot of hard work. It's not very inspirational. Um, But you write because you have to. In my case, I write with urgency, I feel that the stuff that I'm writing is very important and it's got to get out there and And now is the time. And so I feel like when I'm writing, I just have a sense of urgency. So I work hard, I work long hours and I work, and I work as fast as I can. Um, <clears throat> but then I also try to make sure that I get input and feedback from people I respect um, and honest feedback. I tell the, the few friends that I send my work to, whether it's a script or a novel, I tell them, I say, you better be ruthless because if you write something back saying, no, it's basically good. I like it or whatever. I'm going to be mad at you because I know I'm not that good. I know I'm not that great. So you've got to find a lot of things wrong with this. And I want you to destroy it, rip, you know, I want you to find every problem you can because don't worry about hurting my feelings because you have to have rhino skin if you're going to get better. You have to be able to take the hits and, and take the criticism. You know, of course, be nice about it, but tell me what's not working. Tell me what you think is silly. If, tell me your honest gut response as you have it, because your first impressions are very important. If people are getting first impressions and several people get the same first impression from something, then chances are you know that's probably true. Right. You know. So these are some of the things that that you know that that I use to sort of inspire me and keep me going. But at the end of the day, most most of my writing, most of my hard work, is just spending a lot of hard work time, and it really is ninety five percent perspiration, five percent inspiration. You know. But when that five percent comes, it really is amazing and, and powerful and, and exciting to be a part of. <coughs> you know, and an honor as well. But. Right it's it's you know you got to put aside you have to put aside all your dreams and fantasies of the glory of it and realize that everything every dream ultimately comes down to just a job and a lot of hard work and there i'm not saying that there isn't any fun to it i'm just saying the glory that we have the the fantasies of it you know the images oh you know wouldn't it be great to be a you know a working screenwriter where you get to write movies and all this stuff yeah well it's a very miserable, lonely life because you're, you know, everybody's rejecting you all the time. And it's such a big, Hollywood is such a game. And it's such a disgusting game with the way you have to, you know, um, the way you have to win people's attention. And, and you know, it just goes on and on. But right. I kept doing it because there's nothing I would rather do in the world more than, than make movies. and And at the end of the day, when I first started, at least for screenwriting, but I think this can apply to novels as well. I I knew the I knew that the the odds of getting movies made are so low that you have to be willing to say, okay, am I willing to spend ten or more years, or maybe fifteen or twenty? Am I willing to put all that time trying to break in and trying to make movies, and at the end of those fifteen years or more, what if what if nothing happened? Would, right. would I feel like I wasted my time? And and the person the true writer screenwriter will say it's worth it because I love trying to make movies more than doing anything else in the, in the world because I love movies that much. Or if you're a novelist, it's like, yeah, I love writing so much that I don't care if people, if I can't get my novels out, I still got to write them. But now here's the glory because of self publishing and Amazon. Now you can get your stuff out. You, you don't have to, um, you don't have to uh, be a victim of the legacy publishing system that is abusive. to It's impossible to break in just as much as it is in Hollywood. You know? It's impossible to get an agent. <clears throat> it's impossible to get a publisher. Even great writers have been rejected by, by many of them. And you try and try and try, and some people never get picked up. But now, if you can't, go ahead and try that way if you want. But if you can't, you can still get your own stuff published. And that's basically what happened to me. All my novels are self-published. I tried to get a Christian agent and Christian publisher, but <clears throat> they didn't they didn't understand my material because it was too biblical. You know, it had it had sex and violence in it, you know.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> but
3: Christians got it. Right, and and it's the same old thing. The legacy publishers are looking for these. They're looking for the tentpole novels, just like Hollywood's looking for the tentpole movies. They don't they don't want something truly original and, and something that's risky because they don't understand it and it's scary and they might lose money. But yet, those are the very things that end up being the huge the huge hits on on self publishing on the internet. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's just so many stories of authors where that's the case. They do some weird combination of you know. I don't know. Whatever zombie romance, or you know, maybe that's okay now. But you know, they they do these weird combinations that at the time were well, even even the paranormal romance when it first started, they didn't get it. It's like no, that doesn't work. That those are two uh, those are two genres that don't go together, and um, they, so they keep rejecting it. That's the nature of legacy publishing. They reject the truly original stuff. So thank God for Amazon because now it allows you your second chance. If you know to be able to get your stuff out there even if no one else will right yeah Dumb.
0: and i would say the majority of kind of the fringy christian stuff is solely on amazon yeah self-published yeah. and, self-publish.
3: and that so means there's really a lot been... of crap too i mean let's be honest <laughs> <laughs> and look the, well but here's the thing though one of the things that i believe is the case is this <clears throat> you do want to try to work on your craft and and people are foolish if they don't and but i will say this i do believe that the most important thing is good storytelling right. because case in point 50 shades of gray if you've ever wrote, yeah, read that yeah. it's terribly terribly written but because she's in a in just this right niche of erotica but also she's doing something right right because otherwise she wouldn't have made a gazillion dollars and and basically it's it's her storytelling so you can be a good storyteller you don't have to be a great writer now in the legacy world you do have to be a great writer and a great storyteller and that's where you can develop as a writer on amazon and i think that's what happened to me because my first couple novels weren't that great in fact i I've gone back over, like, three years later, I've gone back and done rewrites of my first couple novels because you can do that now with self-publishing, right? Yeah. Just, just to make them a little bit better. So, yeah, the opportunities are fantastic, but you also have to take it seriously as a writer if that's what you want. This isn't a... Um, you know, I'm not using the right word, not glory, but just this, we have these, these idealistic views this of
0: romantic, is, yeah, romantic notions, of notions.
3: exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's really just comes down to mostly hard work, but it's the best hard work in the world. And I would have to agree, Basil,
1: we podcast yeah. because we have to.
3: That's true. That's and true. I had to start a
0: whole nother podcast because I had to podcast more. <laughs> Go really? to the Oh, by the way, I was going to ask you afterwards, but now I'm just going to ask you on the air. <laughs> Pressure's on. Over. Do you want to come on my new podcast? The Joyspiracy theory? Of course. Yeah. What's, you what's heard the it here.
3: Themes? What's the main issue? It's, it's
0: how do we live our lives Knowing such dark and stormy things going on in the world, but how do we still uh, live with joy and happiness in our lives, uh, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and things like
3: that? That's really good, dude. So have me on with my next book, "God Against the Gods," because I think it'll be relevant. I'll yeah, send, right. I'm I'll send having it
0: to you.: I'm having you on tomorrow, so we're <laughs> scheduled for <laughs> 6 p.m. And I'll see you right here.
3: Oh, by the way, you, you did forget this, or maybe you were waiting till the end, but um, I, I do want to take the moment to say everything on all my stuff is at com, and um, I, I really tried to create a, a, a website that would be really interesting to people, so there's lots of cool videos, Artwork, uh, lots of free articles related to the material that my books are about, as well as descriptions of the book and book trailers and stuff. So there's a lot there for people who are interested, and they can also sign up for my newsletter, my Chronicles uh, newsletter, um, as well as my my um, my blog. I, I have a blog where I blog on culture, God, and uh, movies. Blah blah blah.
0: Sounds good. Sounds great. Everybody, you know it, you love it. Go to the website, uh, buy all of the books, all of them, n- like multiple copies, and give them to your uh, pagan Uncle Phil. Because <laughs> he's searching. He knows there's something spiritual going on. Um, all right, well, that was great, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Any, any burning desires, I guess, both you and Gons? Anything that uh, I'm skipping over here? Nah. All right, we covered it all. Nice. Good job, everybody. <laughs> all right, well, Ryan, again, thank you so no,
3: much. No, no, I do have one. I do have one. Oh, oh. Everybody watch Daredevil on Netflix. Oh, the series. <laughs> the series Daredevil on Netflix. I've heard good things about really it. Really cool series. I actually like a lot of the Marvel Universe on on their TV shows. Jessica Jones and... um. And Daredevil and Daredevil wrestles with a spirituality mm. that, that, yeah, that is actually a tr- good Christian spirituality in the first season. And in the second season, it's, it's gets even better. It's just phenomenal. Not, not about the spiritual side, but about the issues that it wrestles which, with, which is vigilantism and, um, and how far do you go to fight evil? And it has a metaphor with terrorism. So, are you um,
0: friends with the writer of Daredevil? Are you plugging your friend? No, show right no, it's now? just, it's just Mr. Hollywood, one the, everyone. One of
3: the latest series that I I watched and I just can't, I can't get it out of my mind. I just loved it.
0: Great. All right. Well, there you go. I'll have to. Ch- I've heard good things about it, so I'll have to check it out.
3: What's Netflix?
0: Yeah, Gons is so, <laughs> so holy. I'm just <laughs> he never even heard of Netflix. It's
3: kind of like Pure Flix only with sex It's it's Satan's Pure
0: Flix. Yeah, oh Satan's Flix. Yeah. Keep that out of my house. Oh gosh. No, All kidding. right. I'm well, kidding. thanks th- again. Thank you so much. You're always such a joy to have on the show, buddy. And uh so everybody go grab the book. It's going to be great.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, there you go, guys. Hope you liked that episode. I know I sure did. Uh, I always, I always do. He's, <laughs> he's such a, he's such a great fellow.
1: When when are you ever going to be like at the end of an episode of a Canary Car Radio episode, just be <laughs> hope, like, you know, that one was a little more mediocre than normal. Hope you
0: guys like that one because I hated it. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I did enjoy it a lot and uh, I enjoy him as a, as a, as a man, as a young man and well, and, you know what's uh, cool
1: is uh, we got to actually sit. Well, I, I did. I don't know. I you, was going to say there.
0: that, too. I was there. We just got a chance to hang out with him in person yeah. and chat about all sorts of stuff. Um, you know, from from Nephilim all the way to, uh, I don't know, some very mundane things. But it was really awesome. He's a fun guy. And uh, we're going to keep him. We'll, we'll keep him around.
1: Basically, basically, what it came down to was that um, you and I are going to have a cameo in a a movie about the book of ruth right which is basically what the premise of the whole conversation was okay so look for i I don't know what they're gonna do with me they're gonna have to cgi my face
0: i want to be a camel
1: you're gonna be no you're gonna be the lion faced uh you know
0: oh yeah there's that but i want to also be a camel with like long flowing blonde hair
1: okay and i can sit (laughs) okay that's getting weird Just Um,
0: just on the head though like not all over the body like a, like an Emperor's New Groove type situation.
1: Right, and then it's blowing in the wind. Yeah. And you're getting sand in your eyes.
0: <laughs> and I'm being ridden by, a, by a, a Jewish prince.
1: Which is played by me. That'd be That's, that's perfect.
0: <laughs> okay, so look out for that. Um, also, one of these days, we're going to get him on the Joy Spiracy Theory, if I can plug myself one more time. Um, also, go watch all of Gonza's videos.
1: Yeah, face like the sun at YouTube, and uh, oh, by the way, good news! My silver play button is coming. Ooh, yay! So when it gets here, I will (laughs) take a picture of it, and Uh,
0: that'll be nice. Say, (laughs) hey, here it is. Here's the (laughs) silver idol. I'm gonna pray for you, (sighs) guys. Um, so that's a thing also okay so guys just just some real talk right now uh we've talked about for it feels like forever now but it's got it must have been the past like five episodes that we've been having a lot of technical difficulties and uh, it, it's really true and and just to put it in perspective we're not the only people having difficulties right now I mean I, ours are more technical for some reason we keep getting hacked and uh, I don't know for some kicked reason off the kicked off the internet multiple times we've yeah. had to basically rebuild our entire online database uh, database three times now. Um, But other people within our genre are also having, I would say, even worse problems. Yeah. Ours are kind of
1: uh, mundane or minuscule compared to... Much
0: rather... I mean, I would say ours might be a little bit on the the expensive side in comparison, but maybe not. But not. But a lot of other uh, Christian podcasters, YouTubers, uh, people who create content, people preaching the word are having some pretty serious attacks all over. I mean, basically the whole group of them, as far as I know. And, and we know about some that, you know, maybe a lot of people don't know about, um, that aren't necessarily public. And it is, it's really intense guys. Like right now there's I don't know. I can't really think of one that isn't having some serious problems.
1: Uh, well, it um, seems like um, you know the the folks over at Skywatch are just having a a
0: blast. <laughs> That's true. Skywatch <laughs> seems to be doing fine. <laughs> they're, they're
1: little. They're bulletproof over there. <laughs> And everybody else is falling by the wayside.
0: All those prayers that you've been praying for Skywatch, can you please like just do it again for us? Maybe I should Um,
1: move to Skywatch. I know, just just to have. Maybe
0: we should all take up some Skywatch job. The
1: hedge of protection of of (laughs) whatever Tom Horns got going on over there.
0: Okay, okay. So thank you, (laughs) thank you, Skywatch, for being a pillar of light in the darkness. Uh, But there's a lot of a lot of us. kind of you know individuals doing this are having some serious problems and i'm not going to get into it but so please keep all of us in your prayers and and this is not just for us but for for every person that you you watch or that you get information from or you listen to or you uh you know use to sort of figure things out or you read their blogs i just want to really encourage you guys to just just to help them out financially um you know, people who do this sort of thing, we don't make a lot of money for the most part. We we do it because we feel we're called to it. And we do it with the full knowledge that we're kind of putting a big red target on our backs. Um, Apparently. Apparently. So, Right. Yeah. As is evident in this period of time for everybody. And so if you have a podcast that you love, if you have a YouTube channel that you love, if you have a, a blog that you love, that you are reposting their stuff, you take in that content every day, please consider just helping that ministry out with whatever you can. Um, a lot of times it's not even the amount of donation that you make. It's just the fact that you know, you put in a dollar and they get to see like, oh my gosh, thank goodness, I'm not doing this for nothing. Somebody out there thinks, you know, it's value. Yeah. Well, that my ministry is worth not just the dollar, but like the time it takes to fill out a PayPal form like that in itself is like, oh my gosh, this person spent the time to fill out the form. <laughs> this is amazing. And so, you know, whether it's Canary Cry Radio or any of the other wonderful ministries, I don't want to list them because I don't want to miss any of them. Yeah. Um, just go out there support your christian uh, online content producer because you know you got you are the you're the people you are the people who decide what keeps going and what doesn't and in a time where we're all having troubles that cost money what, you know it's not just i don't know physical stuff there's money involved with every problem and uh, it's just a really great way to remind that person that you appreciate what they're doing, you see their value in the kingdom of God here on earth, and that you want to support not just them as a person, but support the mission that God has put them on. Right. And, and so, please go do that.
1: Yeah. And those dollars, they're not really leaving your hand in terms no. of it's it's you know it might be numbers from your bank account, but it's not really leaving the purpose or the right. the big, greater yeah. objective
0: and you should be on the same mission. That should be part of your mission. And when you are uh, donating or giving to your favorite Christian content producers, um, you're taking a piece of ownership. I mean, you now can feel that that is happening because of you. And in all reality, it is. You are adding to that ministry something that that Ministry would not have without you. So it's a great way. I personally support uh, a number of different Christian con- content producers. Us as Canary Cry Radio have made a point to support them whenever we can. And, uh, you know, I think you guys should do it too. And usually I, I f- try not to be this pushy, but <laughs> I really feel called right now in this time where things are just falling apart all over the place. It- that that uh, as a body of Christ we need to come together and support everyone involved
1: and by the way i know there's many of you listening who may not have the resources to be able to support financially there's other ways to support us you can share our you know our podcast with friends family or your social right. media or whatever those things are also you know they go a long way i mean that's Really, the point, you know, to get this message yeah. out there.
0: Absolutely. And you know what's funny? Not a lot of people share stuff. I know. Um, what's up I with mean, that? Come on. Right. I, I, you make I,
1: it look so nice. Why? I, I <laughs> you spent this... so much time on the visual and the yeah. audio production right. and, and I was cares. just
0: having this conversation with another uh, 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 Christian producer, Gons, that you know as well. And we were talking about how. If each person who even you know made a donation or sent us an email or said they loved our the work so much that God is doing through us, if they just shared it, our stuff would be everywhere. There would be no getting away from it uh, it's very surprising how little um of a percentage of people actually share stuff, so there you go that 's a thing. Go do that as well.
1: And right. robots are taking over. And the robots See you next are time. taking
0: over. Wake up, sheeple! <laughs> <laughs> Almost
1: the title of my video today, actually. Now yeah. that we time stamped what date we're recording this.
0: Right. Oh yeah, I forgot. We we gotta like actually officially end this podcast. <laughs> yes, we do. Okay. Make sure to go to iTunes, guys. Go to iTunes, search Canary Cry Radio, and leave us a rating and a review. This helps out a lot. This tells the iTunes algorithm robots to show us to other people. You might not think it means a lot. You might just think you're taking time out of your day, but it actually tells an automated system to show canary cry radio to other people and help spread the word so go do that as well as uh sharing us on facebook and all that good stuff um anything else in in that realm i just want to say that
1: since the last time we made the call to go to itunes to you know give us a a rating or a review or both a good handful of you guys stepped it up and, and went ahead and did that so just wanted to say thank you and we appreciate it
0: Absolutely. You guys are the best. You're the best around. And ain't nobody ever going to get you down. Uh-oh.
1: Here we go. Duh,
0: duh, 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 you're the best copyright copyright stop oh sorry we we can't afford that if you'd like to hear awesome 80s music on this podcast please donate to canary cry radio
1: so we can buy licenses to the entire (laughs) prince category
0: okay guys all right there you go so uh thanks for listening to this episode of canary cry radio make sure to tune in next time but until you do think outside the cage